Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Gold Coast here in Australia. Renu, how fantastic is oh, this? Oh, we've escaped the freezing cold of Melbourne and come to the sunny shores of Queensland. It's incredible. And we're bringing you one of our conference highlights. These are one of our new favourite things now that the world has reopened again and we can be back attending scientific conferences. Or what are we here for this week? Oh, we're here for the USANF annual scientific meeting. It's, it's been a couple of years since we've had a, a yeah. face-to-face meeting yeah. and it's, it's fantastic to be here. Look, the sun is getting in my eyes. I can't see anything, Declan. Yes, like at 7 a.m. here and the winter in the Gold Coast. We shouldn't rub it in so much. <laughs> really, like we should 23, 24 degrees. It's yeah. just glorious. But yes, the USANF annual scientific meeting. That's our annual scientific meeting. The Urological Society of Australia and New Zealand takes place here in the Gold Coast this week. And we're hoping to catch some people, some of our great international guests, maybe some local guests, and yeah. have a chat about you know, what it's like being here and traveling again and some of the key topics. I was hoping to get a, a few KOL sightings out here on the beach in the morning, but I think they're all in the in the convention center. Well, you've been, who's on Twitter? You've spot, spotted people on this very beach running it. Uh, Sarah Sutka. Sarah was, Sutka, we're trying to track her down. Yeah, she's been, she's been at it since early this morning. Fantastic. So uh, yeah, it's going to be fantastic. No more looking at, at, at these people through a computer screen. We're going to we're going to see them face to face. Yeah, exactly. And this meeting normally takes place in February, March uh, every year in Australia. It is a fantastic meeting. It's small, 1,500 people, great international faculty. So any of you out there who are listening or watching this, you know, think about USAN's ASM. Come down next year. Actually, um, conflict of interest. I'm convening next year's meeting in Melbourne uh, in February. We'll put up links to that, and we'll surely be promoting that closer to the time. That's right. And we're looking forward to a great meeting. You know, Nita Clark is the convener and Manish Patel is scientific convener and, and the program looks fantastic. And if you remember back uh, to, you know, before pandemic, this was one of the first meetings that took a massive hammering. Did, actually, you, you got really stuck in it, didn't you? So what was March 2020? Uh, That's right. Twenty Yeah, 2020. I just landed in Sydney to, to turn my phone on and, and realise that it's cancelled. At least I got to the beach this time. That's good. It's exactly. a good sign. <laughs> and, and that was it. That was when the world suddenly shut down. I remember yeah. it was the weekend of the Melbourne Grand Prix. Yeah. Everyone was there. They were literally about to open the track for the yeah. qualifying and they came out with a megaphone and said, that's it. It's, and that's it. Here we are two years later, only just limping back to exactly. normality. So. But how exciting. Yep. So shall we go inside and see, can we find anyone to speak to? Yeah, we better stop uh, wasting time at the beach. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. Welcome reception at USANS 2022. This hasn't happened for the last two years. Really exciting to be here. And I'm here with one of our special international guests. This is Philippe Spiest from Moffat. Hello. How you doing? Thanks for having me. <laughs> when did you get in? Got in two days ago. Yeah. Uh, spent a couple days in Sydney. Yeah. And uh, in the Gold Coast. It's absolutely it, It's a good thing we didn't make you come to Melbourne because it is freezing over there right now. I heard. Do you get snow over there? Uh, yeah, our concept of freezing is not quite the same as yours, so no snow. Yeah, I'm a Canadian originally, so, you know, cold is really, really cold, yeah. but I, I'm impressed. It's The weather's spectacular here. <laughs> so what did you think of day one? It was workshop day today. It was. You know, I'm, I'm very impressed with this meeting. I'd heard great things, but you guys really ran a phenomenal meeting. It was, it was a great bladder cancer workshop. Yeah. We talked a lot about, you know, management of non-muscle invasive disease Fantastic. and uh, I have to see the MC of the session was spot on and really kept it very interactive engaging and, and who was the chair of that session Janelle Brennan oh fantastic because you not only get education but you get comedy as well 
I know. I just felt like it was just stand-up with like Rodney Dangerfield or someone. She's fantastic, yes, isn't she? she? Is. <laughs> Our very own. <laughs> she, uh, you know what? She brought a lot of charisma, but also she brought brought it all well together at the end yeah. of the session. And you're heading to EIU, so I think we're going to meet you there. I know. We might even be on the same flight or just meet up somewhere in an airport somewhere. And you brought your family with you? I did. I brought my wife, uh, first time in Australia as well. So it's this great family trip. Wonderful. So here we are, Philippe's Beast, and uh, he's having a great time, as are we. Thanks for hosting me, and it's, I'm really enjoying this meeting. Thank you very much. All right, here we are with scientific convener of the meeting, Manish Patel. Hi, Manish. Hello, how, how are you? How's it been going? Um, so far, so good. It's, it's fantastic. We've got a great um, number of registrations. Yeah. Um, everything's been running like clockwork, so I'm very happy. You know, you had the weight of expectation on your shoulders. First meeting after a couple of years of COVID. Everyone's afraid to travel. It's right in the middle of school holidays. EAU's just around the corner. ANSAP is just around the corner. How have you been handling all this pressure? Oh, look, I think um, everyone wants to come to USANS. They love USANS. It's our meeting. Everyone's here. And um, what a great turnout, right? Yeah, it's, it's been fantastic. And what about the international guests? We've had quite a few make the journey. Yeah, um, so some of them, this is their first time to Australia. They got on the plane 25 hours and they're going, oh my God, I never knew how bad 25 hours on a plane was. <laughs> but it, um, it turns out it's the easy route to EAU. Yes, actually, you're right. A lot of them, uh, no, actually, some of them are going back home and then going to EAU, but a lot of them are going straight. So you're absolutely right. But, um, you know, I like to think this is the highlight and then they'll get to EAU and won't be that great. And is, what's it been like the last, uh, you know, few months of preparations for this? Has it been hectic? Are you relieved to get this out of the way? Um, yes, definitely happy to get it out of the way. It hasn't been that hectic. The only problem has been like, you know, because of COVID and um, people falling ill and because of the EAU, people have pulled out. Um, yeah. And so we've, yeah. luckily we've had such great talent in Australia that we've been able to fill those places very easily. Awesome. Congratulations, Manish, on a, on a very successful meeting. We're all so happy to be here. Thank you. All right, here we are again at the welcome reception. I've got another international guest with us, Sarah Sutka from the University of Washington. Welcome to Australia. Thank you so much. It's so wonderful to meet you in person. <laughs> I know. We've been on, on different ends of a, of a, of a laptop for, for the so. past few yes, times. Exactly. But wonderful to see you here in person. When did you get in? About 3 a.m. yesterday. Ungodly right? hour of 3 a.m. <laughs> yesterday. And uh, you went for a run early this morning. I saw your tweet. Yes. yes you I must did. have been the only person in the Gold Coast out on a run at that time. It was wonderful. I got to watch the surfers. It was. I was trying to shake the jet lag. Amazing. And Sarah, what did you do today? So I got to be a part of this uh, fantastic non-muscle invasive bladder cancer workshop with Phil Spies and Janelle yes. Brennan and, and Dick and Hoyne. It was First of all, one of the most fun bladder cancer sessions I've ever really? been a part of. But it was just incredibly educational. It was great. Uh, we've been hearing a lot about this workshop. I think it's been one of the highlights of the day. It was a great day. It and how long fun. are you staying? I'm here through the end of the meeting. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. And straight back to the U.S.? Or? Uh, actually, no. Headed to uh, the Netherlands next for the EAU. Oh, so wonderful. I'm circumnavigating the globe. <laughs> yes, yes. So it, it seems like it's, it's a common theme here. People are coming to uh, the Netherlands via Australia. It's a, it's a convenient route, right? It seems to be the way to do these things. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic to have you here, Sarah. And we look forward to your talks over the next couple of days. Thank you so Thanks much. for coming. Thank you. Thank you. All right, well, here we are, Mel Caruso, nurse extraordinaire. Um, I've known her since I was a wee little intern, and now she's the most amazing person, and she is scientific convener of Ansons. Congratulations, Mel. Thank you, Renu. How's Thank it been so. going? It's been great. Our workshops had a really good turnout. Our program looks fantastic. Our international speaker, Paula, will be absolutely amazing. Yeah, I mean, the program this year looks fantastic. And how long did it take you to really put it all together? 
probably about a good six to eight months to put it all together. Fantastic. And what are you doing after this? Holiday? Holiday. Absolutely relaxing. You deserve it, Mel. Congratulations. Thanks. I hope it all goes well. We're only at Thanks day one. Me. It'll be great. Thanks for it. Sylvia Proeni, welcome to Australia and the Gold Coast. Oh, thank you so much for this kind invitation, for this prestigious invitation. I'm very honored to be here in your fantastic country and in this amazing meeting. Thank you. And uh, you've been uh, in the Gold Coast now for about a week, haven't you? You've actually, actually been in Australia for about a week. Yes, honestly speaking, it was the, my first time in Australia, so I decided to come a little bit earlier in Australia. And uh, I spent one day in uh, Sydney, and then I flew to Proserpine and Arley Beach in order to, um, to see the, the beauty of your fantastic country, and then I flew here. Fantastic. And you're from the San Rafael University in Milan, is that right? Yes, I come from uh, San Rafael Hospital in Milan and um, I am very proud to be part of this uh, institution in Italy. And you've just given a fantastic talk about stone management. Tell us, what are your five main tips for treating stones successfully in the kidney? Oh, thank you so much for this great question. I would say that, uh, first of all, uh, it is very important to give uh, to our patient the correct indication, and then uh, we have to select uh, the, the right patient for flexible ureteroscopy. And uh, also, we have to be gentle with the anatomy of our patient. We have not to force at all. And also, we have to keep in mind that complications and the particular septic complication can happen in our stone patients so we have to uh, to understand uh, the uh, not to prolong so much uh, the surgery of our stone pa uh, stone patient we have to carefully uh, follow our patient the first hour after flexible ureteroscopy Brilliant. And your other passion, of course, is the management of, of upper tract urothelial cancers and in particular the non-invasive management. Um, tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, absolutely. I am a big fan of conservative treatment of UTUC and in our, in our, we are a referral center for the conservative treatment of UTUC and uh, of course uh, the indication is fundamental in this kind of patients and we, are, we have a lot of patients that we we are treated conservatively and now with the new laser machine that we have in our stone center we are doing a very great job in in order to conserve uh, to treat this patient conservatively thank you amazing and when do you head back home unfortunately nessa <laughs> Ness, uh, tuesday i'm so sorry okay and have you had a good time here Absolutely, yes. Thank you so much for the invitation. Fantastic, Sylvia. Thank you so much for speaking with us and your brilliant talk. Um, and we look forward to seeing more of you throughout the conference. Thank you so much. See you around. Thank you. Bye. Oh, 
All right, here I am with one of our most important international guests, one of our KOLs from Milan, San Rafael University, Alberto Briganti. Welcome. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure for me to be here and uh, I really enjoying uh, here in well, Brisbane. This is not your first trip to Australia, is it? It is mine, first, is. indeed. Wow. I, I was really excited when I got the invitation, so yeah. I said uh, I need to be there. Yeah, and you've done some fantastic talks and, and you're a good friend of so many of the Australian people here. Um, and we've just finished up in a plenary session where you talked about the, the role of lymph node dissection in this era of PSMA PET. What were the main take-home messages from that talk? So um, I believe that now the, the main message would be to integrate PSMA PET into clinical decision-making process for extended pelvic lymph node dissection decisions. So uh, I was pointed out that it's not a matter of having a ne negative or positive imaging, but just to integrate the image features together with the clinical risk features of, of each patient. Now, uh, there is certainly a need to spare the number of lymph node dissection that we do, and negative imaging in some patients' uh, uh, group might help in uh, reducing these numbers. Absolutely, and I think you made the point really well that there's probably too much extended lymph node dissection being done, but really it is the gold standard of staging. So if that staging information is valuable to you, then you still need to do it, especially in high-risk disease. Absolutely. So staging information is, 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 is uh, very important for us. Mm. And uh, by using this information, we can tailor post-operative therapies and we can even follow our patient uh, in a more tailored way. Uh, so I believe that the staging information we got from extended pelvic lymph node section is still valuable and very important. Absolutely. And uh, Alberto, you know, I hear time and time again that the, that the real symbol of the fact that you have made it in your field is to have a nomogram named after you. <laughs> and you, you're one of the few people I know who has one. Well, I mean, uh, I mean, thank you. But, uh, <laughs> but the whole story started several years ago when I was a fellow, uh, a research fellow in Pierre Karakiewicz's lab in Montreal. And we got this idea of making this nomogram that over time includes more variables and uh, we kind of make it a little bit more sophisticated with new data and eventually we also have been able to improve the performance characteristics of the nomogram. So, but it's a matter of you know, teamwork together with uh, several groups worldwide which contributed to the series. Fantastic. And you're going to head back to Milan soon and then off to EAU? Absolutely, yes. I mean, I will, I will leave soon to Milan, unfortunately, because I really enjoyed my time here. It's a beautiful country and you guys are fantastic in terms of hospitality. And then we stay a few days in Milan and then get back to, uh, to meeting to EAU and really look forward to our next face-to-face uh, -face meeting after a couple of years of, uh, of virtual meetings. Fantastic. Well, we'll see you at EAU. We'll follow you there. So here we have it. Alberto Briganti, owner of the Briganti Nomogram, here, to, here delivering some amazing talks at USANS 2022. So I'm joined now by uh, Professor Hashim Ahmed from Imperial College London, Chief of Urology at Imperial College London and one of our fantastic guests at this year's USANS meeting. Hash, uh, welcome to Australia. Are you having a good time? It's fantastic. It's a really enjoyable meeting. It's finally nice to come to Australia. It's a long way, but great weather and a really friendly atmosphere. So. Yeah. Thank you very much for having me. Not at all. And look, you spoke of some topics that are very relevant for us practicing urologists here mm. in Australia, Australia. Early detection pathways, leveraging off some of the great MR work you've done. Mm. Uh, and today, a fantastic talk on the role of focal therapy. Do you want to summarize for us just about early detection? You presented the way in your West London network, you've set up this really rapid access program. But mm. for, for listeners and viewers, can you summarize how you tend to approach someone who has 68-year-old comes in, referral PSA 5.0? What happens to them in your network? So the referral comes in and before the patient is even seen. The referral is vetted by a senior nurse or a senior fellow. The patient is then called and told 
we can do your MRI in the morning. You come in, have your MRI, it'll get reported the same day. We'll see you at lunchtime. That'll be the first time one of us will meet you. We'll meet you with the MRI report. And then if it's not suspicious and we're comfortable that you don't need a biopsy, then we will discharge you back to your GP that same day. One visit. Uh, yeah. uh, one visit. And if they need a biopsy, the about 50 to 60% of men are being biopsied the same day yeah. with a transperineal approach. Australia has led the transperineal charge. We're just following on your uh, coattails, uh, and they're having a targeted and systematic transperineal biopsy under local anaesthetic. So it's fantastic. Patients yeah. like it. The vast majority find the streamlined approach really just reduces their anxiety. And then, crucially, as you know, when you were in the UK, we're under these government targets that we have to diagnose and treat within a certain amount of time. And we've just been able to meet those targets, pre-pandemic anyway. Uh, but as we come back out of the pandemic, those numbers are getting better. Look, that's an amazing logistical feat to coordinate all of that sort of administration and clinical workflow to make that happen. So congratulations on it. And as you pointed out in your talks here that you know, we all know we don't need to uh, diagnose yeah. them, these yeah. men that quickly. But you're right, from a patient-centered care point of view, people, and you've reported this, seem to value uh, the, the, the efficiency of this, the lack of delays and so on. Um, and is, is that scalable across the UK? Um, we think it is. Yeah. So, you know, we've delivered this in West London as a pilot for three centres. It was funded by the government straight out of promise before the guidelines changed. They just wanted to get practice changed in a whole region. And we did that with RM Partners. Uh, and now it's been launched across the West London in about six, okay. seven centres. And at least another five cancer alliances are doing a similar approach. It's the only way to give the best evidence-based care to reduce harms and meet your cancer waiting time targets. You have to get it all streamlined. This isn't extra work for people. It's just doing all the work that you would normally do, radiology reporting, biopsy, as much as possible all on the same day. For the patient's benefit. And for the patient's benefit. Yeah. So one of the other topics you discussed, fascinating, is the, the potential for not doing PSA testing as our main tool for early detection in prostate cancer, but instead go straight to an MR. And you've got some research interest. It's called a prostatogram, that, uh, you know, leveraging off mammogram. Uh, but do you see a future for an imaging-only based approach to early detection? Look, the, the early data is remarkable. We're picking up a third more significant cancers than a PSA threshold of three. We know that from the screening studies, it misses quite a lot of cancers if you set the threshold at three. And a lot of men subsequently die because that early disease was missed. So it needs the big study. Um, the early data is fantastic. Um, and we're looking at, in the UK now, funding a up to 20 million pound screening study evaluating the role of prostogram MRI, either instead of PSA or with a much lower threshold of, say, one, uh, and then having a prostogram MRI. Biparametric? Fast MRI, so yeah. really powering it back, so doing yeah. an axial Quick T2, yeah. uh, a, a ADC, and a high B, and, that, and, and that's, it. that's it, nothing else. So it's not even biparametric, it's a true fast MRI. So, so maybe the say health 10 economics minutes. will stack up a little bit better. Uh, yeah. The health economics are going to be absolutely yeah. crucial, but look... There's also, not only is there the clinical and cost-effectiveness data that we have to get out, there's going to have to be a political willingness to, to, to fund this. Mammography came through because of pressure from patient groups, from physician groups, not just because of the data. Uh, and so there's going to be, have to be uh, you know, a parallel 
stakeholder engagement in this as well. And finally, um, focal therapy, of course, uh, uh, something that your entire research career was focused around and you're a huge international leader in it. I heard you say this morning when asked a question about of all the population who get diagnosed with prostate cancer, how many do you think um, would potentially benefit? And I think you said, you know, approximately up to 20% of, of all di- uh, prostate cancers diagnosed in a population like the UK, which is not like terribly screen detected. You know, probably do have some, certainly compared to us, we, we, uh, it's not as screen detected here, but yeah, up to 20%. And, uh, and I think you made the point that they should at least be informed about focal therapy. Um, can you just um, talk a bit about that? Because I, would, I, would, I was going to shout up at you to say, yes, they should be informed that this is investigational and should only be conducted in some sort of you know, research environment, as the EU guidelines would say. But. Yeah, it's something, as you know, very close to my heart. I, I think we have to decide as a profession when is the level of evidence good enough. We adopted partial nephrectomy without level one evidence. The level one evidence came afterwards. Um, we adopted robotic prostatectomy. So there are instances where we just won't be able to get the level one 20-year study and that would deny tens of thousands of men a treatment that I think now we have good medium-term outcomes with much less functional impact. And if we're ever going to get to a stage where we convince the epidemiologists, the public health doctors to allow us to screen for disease, I think focal therapy is going to be an absolute key element in that argument, that minimization of harm that we have all been engaged in over the last 20, 30 years. We need to move beyond that. So I don't think it's investigational. Uh, I don't think it's experimental. Do I think we should be collecting the data within good prospective registries? Absolutely. Do I think people need to do it properly and not just go off and without any form of training or start it? Absolutely not. They need to be trained. They need to do fellowships, just like you've pioneered with robotic prostatectomy. People need to take a keen interest and do it properly. Uh, I, I think it's something that patients deserve to know about, deserve to be informed. And if they don't like the fact that there's no 10, 15 year data, then they'll choose to have a fantastic prostatectomy by yourself. Fantastic. So I'm not totally obsolete yet. Well, thanks very much, Hash. Great to have you in Australia. And uh, let's hope we welcome you back again, not too distant future. It's a pleasure. Thanks a lot. Hi there. It's Nathan Lorenchuk here coming to you from the USANS 2022 meeting on the Gold Coast. I'm joined here by uh, Alan McNeil, the new chair of the Board of Trustees of the BJU International. Welcome, Alan. Yeah, thank you, Nathan. It's been uh, my first USANS meeting. It's been a fantastic experience, really friendly meeting where you you can get together with colleagues uh, and get to know one another and the social aspects has been fabulous and we've just had a really good session uh, for the BJUI here uh, this morning. Fantastic. So a couple of changes at the BJUI. We, as you know, under the BJUI, uh, uh, I guess, broader group is the journal itself, obviously, and part of that is the USAN supplement. We have BJUI Compass and then BJUI Knowledge. So we do have a new editor for the BJUI Compass, don't we? Yeah, we're delighted that uh, Mike Gorin, uh, who's in Mount Sinai at New York, has uh, accepted the role as the new editor, and he takes up his post later this year. Uh, first edition that he will edit will be in November, so we're really looking forward to that and sure. the energy he will bring. Now, do you happen to know when that will have an impact factor, that journal? Are we still a little bit away from that? It's a little bit off. We've just got uh, registration on PubMed, which is a big step, but it's a real credit to John Davis, the outgoing editor, for all his hard work in getting it yeah. to this stage in two years during a pandemic. So really 
pleased with the progress so far. So BJUI Compass is open access. How far off do you think open access is for the main journal, or do you think that's still some time away? Well, the, the main journal is still is hybrid. Yeah. Uh, it, I think it'll be a few years, but it's coming. Um, I think the move to open access has probably been delayed a little bit by the pandemic, mm. but we're preparing for that all the time. Sure. And uh, as I understand too, the BJUI Knowledge now has, was it right, over 400 modules? Could that be correct? Yep. So wow. it's basically covering the full curriculum of urology and uh, we're really pleased with the content. It gets really brilliant feedback in the surveys and marketing. So we're just keen now that uh, we get as many trainees and consultants using it around the world because it's, a, it's an excellent educational platform and yeah, to, to be valuable, it must be used. So that's our, our goal. Mm. Well, look, all I'll say is I want to encourage our uh, younger researchers to keep submitting to the BJUI, either through the main journal, uh, to the supplement or through Compass. Uh, we do have high quality research. We've seen that here at the meeting and uh, the BJUI has always played a big role in that. So thanks for joining us today, well, Alan. No, thank you for your contribution to the BJUI. And uh, I think under the editorship of Freddie Hamdy, we're really building on everything that uh, Procar Dasgupta and his team, including Declan Murphy, did uh, previously. So Fantastic. Thank you. Thanks again, Alan. Hi, Declan. Obviously, you're not going to see this part, but you want the tip kind of close to the blood neck. Yep. And then I'm compressing the tissue. Yeah, so go further towards the bladder. So can you see your kind of, uh, your kind of way posterior there? Or yeah. Can Well, very exciting. I'm interviewing two people here, very important. We've got Kat back here, the president of Anzans, and I've got Paula Olchum. Olchum, yeah. Olchum. I, I knew I was going to pronounce that wrong. <laughs> Paula is the president of the EAUN. Welcome, ladies. Thank you. Welcome. How are you? I'm, I'm well. Kat, congratulations on a wonderful meeting. Thank you. Thank you. It's really good. I must thank my conveners, um, Deidre Kernan and... Um, Melissa Caruso. Yeah, you had a strong support yeah, team to yeah. pull this off. Then. Yeah. And, really good. And Paula, welcome to Australia. Thank you. Is this your first time? Uh, I could probably say yes because I was three when I last came, but yeah, I can say yeah. first and, time. And how does the, the kind of magnitude of this meeting compare with the meetings in, in Europe? Well, I think there's 190 nurses here. I mean, that's amazing. It's been really good. It's been really interactive. Um, it's a great way of networking. I've had lots of questions just from the UK, talking about UK perspective on things. So it's really nice. It's, it's buzzing. I think it's they've done really well organising. Yeah. It's been really good. And what about the meeting content so far? Really good. I mean, today's session was fabulous, yeah. actually. Yeah, yeah it was. Yeah. Lots of questions. Lots of positive feedback. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's really good. And it's just so lovely to be face-to-face with everyone. Yeah, and you guys do so much wonderful collaboration, don't you? It must be lovely yeah. to... to to be able to visit and for you guys to be able to see Paula here. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. And we really appreciate when uh, Paula accepting the invitation, coming over and um, sharing her experience. I mean, they're much more 
not so much advanced, but they've got just just the clinics that they run, and we base a lot of ours off it. And yeah. um, you know, um, even ten years ago, you know, when I went to Guys, we we, we brought back their model for it, for our place. So it was yeah, really good. Yeah. That's fantastic. And you guys are going to continue the party at the EAU uh, conference next week in Amsterdam. We are. We are. <laughs> We're changing roles, so it will be. Um, uh, Paula's turn to be the head honcho there. You're on home yep. turf yep. and uh, you'll be the guest, Cab. <laughs> I'll be the guest. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, we look forward to hearing more details about the EAU conference. And Paula, enjoy the rest of your trip to Thank Australia. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Renee. We're in the Exhibitor Hall and I'm in the Bladder Cancer Foundation booth and I'm feeling extremely short because I am surrounded by these two very tall men, but very important men. So I'd like to introduce, uh, everyone knows Professor Nathan Lorenzak, Director of uh, Urology at the Royal Melbourne Hospital and my colleague at Peter Mack. Hi Renee, thanks for having us Are on. you enjoying the meeting so far? It's been fantastic just to be back in person and doing all the things we love doing. Fantastic. And you know, we always love to hear from our patients and, and that's what these foundations are all about. And I've got a, a patient who, uh, Tony Moore here, um, you know, who has been affected personally by bladder cancer. Tony, can you tell us our story, your story? Yeah, I was diagnosed with bladder cancer in 2011. Uh, I was in a diverticulum, so it was pretty dangerous. Nathan decided to, the best way to go was a neobladder for me. Uh, so in 2011, I was operated on. We had a rough time, Nathan. What, yeah. I was six weeks in hospital, but we got through it, and here I am today uh, using my normal plumbing to urinate, which is fantastic. You know, uh, Tony, one thing Nathan always taught me when I was training was that when it comes to reconstruction after, after a cystectomy, the neobladder is a Rolls-Royce of reconstruction. So you've, how does it feel driving around a Rolls-Royce? Oh, yeah, I'm very, very happy. It was a great decision. Uh, Nathan advised me very well and, yeah, I couldn't be happier. There's road bumps along the way. It's a big recovery. Uh, but once you get past that recovery, two or three years down the track, the mucus dries up and you pretty much have a normal life. And, and what's it been like being involved with the Bladder Cancer Foundation? So, you know, when I was diagnosed, I found there wasn't enough resources for bladder cancer. Nathan was fantastic. He was in the hospital every day with me. And then I said to him after recovery, well, what can I do to help? And we started this charity, firstly, with our booklet, the Bladder Cancer, excuse me, the Bladder Cancer Patient Guidebook. We've done nearly 10,000 copies of this booklet now and it's been a great resource. I think it's become the de facto standard in the industry. Yeah. Uh, and today we're releasing all these procedure guides. Terped, ileal conduit, neobladder, all for patients to make the patient journey easier. So we're trying really hard to help patients have an easy journey when they're diagnosed with bladder cancer. You know, this is the sort of passion that we really look for. Nathan, um, you know, you're so dedicated to your patients with bladder cancer. How do you see your role in this foundation? Look, well, I was lucky enough to form it with Tony. Was it 2016 or 17 when we started? No, 2014. Oh, okay. Gee, time flies when you're having fun. And look, for me, it, it was, you know, in medicine, when there's a problem, you've got to try and solve it. So our problem was not enough resources for patients to make informed decisions. So, and luckily, the enthusiasm of Tony, we've had a, a board that's stuck together. We have regular meetings. And, you know, we're all, always trying to innovate, whether it's with um, brochures, the bladder cancer care plans become very popular. And I guess... It's a big journey for bladder cancer patients. As you know, it's a lifelong illness. It's not something that comes and goes. So without this, we think our patients would, I guess, be relying on overseas information, and it's not specific to the local environment, and that's why we think the bladdercancer.org.au is the best thing we can do for our patients. 
I would keep. I would love to keep talking to you guys, but I'm getting a sore arm, so I'm gonna. I'm gonna bring this to an end. But you know, us and the wider community are privileged to have guys like you being involved. Thank you. And thank you for everything that you do. Thanks, guys. So that's been a great few days here on the Gold Coast. Yeah, it was three days. We've learned a lot. We've caught yeah. up with friends. I've learned that I can't surf. Yeah, good try. <laughs> Maybe next time. Had to give it a go. It's been great. Just been great back seeing people again. I think yeah. that was one of the highlights. Everyone just kept saying, it's so nice to be back in person. And it's nice to yeah. have real meetings again and so on. Yeah. Just fantastic. And you know, the location was fantastic, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Exactly. And next year, we'll be back in Melbourne. I'm the convener, myself and uh, my scientific chair, Janelle Brennan, who's fantastic and hilarious, um, are putting together a great <laughs> program. she was one of the highlights. She of the was whole one of the highlights, yeah. Dr. Janelle Brennan, she's great. She was fantastic. We'll next year, uh, Brennan, and we have a fantastic faculty already lined up, so we'll, uh, we'll be plugging that. We're heading off to Amsterdam for EAU. Yeah, straight away. And, yeah, and yeah. With, a, with a great Australian contingent, and we're looking forward to bringing some highlights from there. Fantastic. So stay tuned to GUcast. We're going to be back from Amsterdam next week with highlights from there. Uh, thanks very much for watching us, and take care. I'll see you on the plane.